0: You're listening to Strange by
1: Nature, your guide to the strange, weird, unbelievable, and improbable wonders of the natural world. Hello everyone, thanks for being here today. I am Kirk Mona and I am joined today by Rachel Ginza and Victoria Thompson. We are all professional naturalists who together have scoured the world for weird and wonderful wonders just to please your mammalian brain's desire for novelty. Isn't that nice? Let's do this.
0: Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm getting us started this week. Uh, And to keep us in the spooky season that I started us with last week, ha ha ha, um, I'm actually going to go with something that's a little nicer than last week's Vampire Bat this. Anyway, so okay. I'm going to take us all back to so is, we're going to go back all the way back in time to maybe about fourth century BCE. Um, oh, okay. so we're we're trading with ancient Greeks, all right? And like you do, we're, yeah. Like yeah. You do. who are we? Probably other yeah. ancient Greeks.
2: Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs>
0: um, or ourselves, either way, we're time traveling, um, and. Mm. They start talking to you about this just amazing creature that lives in India. And by the way, they are convinced it is a real thing. All right. I'm guessing it's All not right? a real thing. Or
2: it's
1: I think inspired by guess. a real thing. We'll
0: see. So this uh, first description you get uh, of this creature is um, fleet of foot wild horse-like creature with a 28-inch horn on its head. Oh. Oh, okay. A all unicorn? Right, all right. Maybe. This comes from a man who lived in Persia, <laughs> uh, which is in modern-day Iran, Uh, uh Or m- maybe you don't hear it from Cetasis. Maybe you hear it from Pliny the Elder, who calls this animal uh, an Indian ox. Uh, with... I quote, one-horned beasts that had the head of a stag, the feet of an elephant, and the tail Uh of a boar, while the rest of its body is like a horse with a single horn projecting from the middle of its forehead.
1: The feet of an elephant, you say? So is this a rhinoceros?
0: Well, first... I just keep trying to guess. I know. Well, I mean, of course, it's going to be the unicorn, is what they think it is. This is a creature uh-huh. that clearly is a real creature that lives on this earth. Uh, no. So, despite all of Scotland's efforts and the fact that it wants its, its national animal to be the unicorn, which it is. Go Scotland. Um... The real life inspiration for this creature is more likely the Indian rhinoceros. Yeah. There you go. Also known as the Greater One Horned Rhino. Uh nice.
1: A little Monoceros.
0: Yes. Monoceros was uh actually in some of the descriptions I was reading, Kirk. Uh so its nice. scientific name is rhinoceros unicornis. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well
0: there it is. <laughs> they went real subtle there. Uh and it was actually by uh, described by Western sci- science by Carl Linnaeus in the eighteen hundreds. Um this is a large animal. It's actually the second largest animal on the Indian subcontinent. Um at about five foot eight, six uh, six, six feet in height at the shoulder, so it's very much bigger than I am <laughs> and uh, is about 10 to 12 and a half feet in length. So this is a big animal.
1: <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh,
0: they are four to 6,000 pounds uh, and they live in northeastern India and in the Turay grasslands in Nepal. Uh, and currently they're about, their population is about 3,700, uh, versus when, uh, at the beginning of the 20th century, they were hitting about 200 in the wild, which isn't great. No,
1: not great. long. Um,
0: that's pretty, pretty not great. Um, now, these, have, these animals have, like, a gray-brown hide with skin folds that look a lot like armor, actually. And their shoulders mm-hmm. and their rumps actually are covered in these, like, warty-looking uh, bumps all over, um, which is bizarre, but it's just what they look like. Uh, and they have a single black horn that is about... Anywhere from 8 to 25 inches long. The cool thing is that horn is actually purely made of keratin. Um, very similar to the stuff that our hair is made out of, actually. Right, yeah. And it starts to grow uh, and be able to be seen on the younger rhinoceros after about six years of age. So it takes a long time for them to really start growing. Um, they are generally solitary animals rather than... I I generally think of rhinoceros as being like a herd animal. I don't know about you guys. Uh, I don't really think of them as being a herd animal. Hmm.
2: I sort of think of them as solitary. I don't know if that's accurate for all species of rhinoceros.
0: I'm not sure either. First, I always thought that they were more of a herd animal. Um, but these are solitary animals. The only time that they're with others, it was when the females have young. Um, the males have loosely bound territories that they guard. Uh, and the females kind of wander around. Um, they do live in uh, northeastern India and Nepal. So that means it gets pretty warm there. Uh, so they, if they're not grazing on the grasses and branches, whenever they can find... They actually love to hang out and submerge submerge themselves in water. Uh, And because of the way their skin folds are and uh, the watery bumps, their skin actually can hold on to the moisture even if they leave the water. Oh, wow. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, They can also graze on aquatic plants. Uh, One thing that kind of disturbed me but doesn't surprise me um, I found out that they can run at speeds of uh, about 34 miles per hour. Not for very long. Mm. But just fast <laughs> enough, no doubt. Just fast enough. Yeah, just long enough. <laughs> just enough. Uh, they don't have very many uh, predators. Uh, tigers will go after young calves, but for the most part, they do don't, once they're an adult, they don't really have any predators. They are more impacted by habitat destruction and things like that. Um, they,
1: they, have, they have one predator. Well,
0: okay. Yes. They have one predator, and it's the <laughs> human who... I was trying not to go there, but yeah. The human, unfortunately, will poach them for both their horn and for other purposes. Uh, they were right. thought of as pests for a long, long time as well. Just getting rid of them. And that's why their uh, population was so low at the beginning of the 20th century. But there's been a big, uh, what's the word? There's been a lot of Rebound. work. Rebound? was the word I was looking for. There's oh, okay. been a lot of effort. There's been a lot of work that's been done uh, on conservation, not only on the lands that they use for themselves, uh, like their home and their habitat but uh, just getting their population levels back up. So there's been a lot of effort in that, and it's been really successful. Uh, they're now just a vulnerable vulnerable uh, species rather than a endangered, which is great. Huh. Yeah.
1: Got that going for
0: them? Yeah. Uh, and that's what I have for you both today. Uh, they're not as strange as the flamingo, but they were the inspiration for the unicorn.
1: I, I don't know. I, I think they're weirder than flamingos personally (laughs) yes
0: (laughs) fair enough uh well when we get back from our break it will be victoria
1: strange by nature podcast is brought to you by listeners like you who have joined the Society of Strange, our membership group on over at patreon.com slash nature. Society of Strange members can join at one of three different membership levels and help support the show and also get some fun stuff like water bottle stickers or access to a super secret content. So a thank you to those who have joined already to help make this podcast possible. If you haven't joined yet, we'll see you soon over at the Society of Strange at patreon.com slash strange by nature see you soon
2: so i was taking a walk the other day through the neighborhood with my kids when we saw a squirrel i know we saw a squirrel squirrel this one was a bit unusual though because it was white with pink eyes oh nice oh albinism sweet i I saw one
0: yesterday actually
2: yeah So that was my inspiration. I'm going to talk today about albinism.
0: Yay! Not the albino from Princess Bride. Right.
2: So to start off with, what is albinism? Uh, This actually wound up being surprisingly confusing and hard to pin down. Of course, if you look online, the majority of hits you get (coughs) relate to albinism in humans. And so there's a very narrow definition associated with that. But I'm, I'm more interested in... Albinism in the rest of nature. Mm-hmm. So, Merriam-Webster says, "quote, an aberration occurring in humans and other vertebrates. Albinism is an absence of pigment in the eyes, skin, hair, scales, or feathers caused by a genetic defect." Um, which is pretty. Yeah, it's, it's it's all right. <clears throat> Wikipedia says it's the congenital absence of any pigmentation or coloration in an animal, plant, or person resulting in white hair feathers scales and skin and pink eyes and mammals birds reptiles amphibians and fish and invertebrates as well
0: that's a so, bit better than uh, i expect from wikipedia sometimes yeah what i was led to believe about wikipedia from teachers anyway
2: so so in mammals it's relatively straightforward for most mammals mm-hmm. the only pigment they have is melanin melanin is uh, produced in special skin cells called melanocytes. Site just is the word for cell in Latin, so melanocytes. And the process uh, involves an enzyme called tyrosinase. Uh, so there are seven known genes that can affect tyrosinase. And so mutations in any one of those seven can produce some form of albinism. And all of them affect not only the skin and hair, but also the eyes. So in fact, one of the main features of albinism, other than the obvious visual ones is that the lack of pigment in the retina of the eye and in the iris really affects eye development and leads to a bunch of different vision problems.
0: Okay. I mean, that makes sense. I know blue eye people tend to be more sensitive to the sun. Sorry, Kirk. Uh, tell me about Yeah.
2: Well, in this case, because the, the retina on the back of the eye is a very dark color in, in normal people and animals, mm-hmm. and if mm-hmm. that pigment isn't there, basically the light just bounces around like crazy inside the eye.
1: Oh. I'm glad you mentioned the um, melanin, because my, my understanding has always been that it was specifically an absence of melanin, yeah, and not other types of pigments. Mm. Well, I this mean, is where the debate it's, comes in. It's where it, that's where I was figuring, yeah. yeah.
2: Do tell. Well, so just sticking with as I said, in, in mammals or in mammals, it's fairly straightforward, because melanin is the only pigment. So that's right. Yeah. So people with the kind of um, most typical, what people think of as the most typical type of albinism, is where where people lack any melanin at all. So this would be in a mouse, a typical white lab mouse with pink eyes. People with this type of albinism have pure white hair, pink or light blue eyes, uh, extremely pale skin. They don't tan ever. And most of the other types of albinism could actually almost be considered partial because some melanin can be produced. But, you know, for example, people from dark skin families will have some melanin in their skin, but much lighter skin, hair and eyes than their family members. Okay. And... As a side note, one thing I learned a while ago about squirrels is that there are actually two types of white squirrels. There's albino and leucistic. And leucistic squirrels have the same dark eyes as normal squirrels, whereas the albino ones have the pink eyes. And so I was kind of wondering if leucism in other mammals might be related to the same kind of mutations as partial forms of albinism in people. Um, But as far as I can tell, this is a different type of phenomenon.
1: Lucism is a whole other ball of yeah, wax. Yeah, it's a whole other ball <laughs>
2: of wax. And I'm not going to get into it any more than that. <laughs> fair enough. That's probably fair enough. the best. Yeah. So uh, before I go any further, I just want to say the focus of this topic today is not really albinism in people. Although that is, as I said, what a lot of the available information is about. But I just want to acknowledge here that people with albinism can face a lot of discrimination and even persecution. Um, and yeah. although, you know... People with albinism have typical development, usually outside of their pigmentation and vision. There's a lot of myths and stereotypes that that accrue to them. Um, yeah,
0: and, a lot of them are pretty negative, too.
2: Yes, indeed. So particularly in parts of sub-Saharan Africa, there's some actually quite gruesome stuff that happens. And even here in the U.S., uh, people with albinism can face discrimination and social isolation because of their appearance and their vision disabilities. So... Um, it's yeah. a serious issue, but moving on to other vertebrates from mammals, it gets even more complicated. So a lot of other vertebrates have other pigments besides melanin. So you could have an animal where their melanin is affected, but red or yellow pigments, which going back to what Kirk was talking about, they're yeah. carotenoids. Ah,
0: That's right.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, whoa, whoa. So the yellow and red pigments might not be affected. So, for example, if you've ever seen a snake uh, that is yellow and white or kind of a pale peach color, which some people have as pets, this would yeah. be an example. So such animal, yeah, animals are often called albino, but more properly, they could be called amelanistic, okay. since they're not truly lacking all pigments.
1: Sure,
0: gotcha. Okay, all right. Yeah, my but, friend Anna actually breeds some uh, snakes that are albino. Uh, albino
2: so cool cool um so for considering albino as the lack of all pigment truly albino examples do exist of birds reptiles amphibians and fish with non-vertebrate animals it starts to get more fuzzy so for example wikipedia talks (laughs) about (laughs) quote-unquote albino mollusks but a lot of those still do have some pigment (laughs) and i turned up a
0: scholarly article about an albino sea cucumber (laughs) how that wow, go? That, <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I'm still laughing at uh, how you said it's a little fuzzy for birds, snakes, and invertebrates, and oh, none of them have fur. They're not
2: fuzzy. Well, I mean, some <laughs> invertebrates are fuzzy. Caterpillars, yeah. bees. Yeah, it's, sorry.
1: Say this work gets a little scaly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. Thanks, Kirk. That's that's great.
0: Sorry, sorry. Uh, yeah, no, that's it really, really weird. Like, yeah. also. I'm afraid to ask how the albino sea cucumber looked like.
2: Well, I didn't. Um, I tried to find a picture, and I didn't see one. But, again, these seem to be often reductions in pigment rather than the complete absence. So, mm. Mm -hmm. needless to say, albinism can be a pretty big evolutionary disadvantage in a lot of cases, and that does make it pretty rare in nature. It's a recessive uh, trait as well. So first, it makes you conspicuous, which is a problem if you don't want to get eaten. Second, the Most vision problems—do not want the, to get eaten. No, do not want to get eaten. Um, the vision problems can also reduce fitness. So if you think about squirrels; you know you have to leap from tree branch to tree branch, and that takes pretty good vision. So if you're if your vision is not great, you're not going to survive as long.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And. Finally, having no melanin means having no protection from UV. So animals and people with albinism are a lot more subject to sunburn and skin cancers. Yep. Yep. not good. Okay, so I don't know how closely you were listening, but that Wikipedia definition of albinism also included plants.
0: It did. (laughs) I I think of uh, the ghost plant there.
2: Yeah. Well, I don't. Know if that counts. So this would have to be a plant that in its typical form has color, but, you know, has a... So this would be chlorophyll, plants that lack chlorophyll as a mutation.
1: Um, Whereas the other ones of that uh, species normally have chlorophyll. Correct.
2: So if you know anything about biology and genetics, you'll realize that this is a completely different mechanism compared to the lack of pigment in animals.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because if they don't have chlorophyll, they can't really make food.
2: Right. Yes. Right? Good point. And uh, so, you know, in my opinion, calling a tree an albino is a bit of a stretch. This is super cool, though. So as you say, Rachel, they can't make their own food. So when these types of plants do occur, they're usually as parasites off of uh, a host plant, usually of the same species. So one of the species this occurs in is redwoods. And what? you can see some amazing pictures of these little smaller redwood trees with stark white needles just growing off the base of a bigger, normal redwood. It's what? very cool looking.
1: Wow. Well, and, in, you know, when you're in a redwood forest, it's, it's very shady, mm-hmm. you know. So it's kind of fascinating to think you could have something that's it's sort of a way to, if you're being like a, a parasite uh, on a larger tree, it's actually a, a successful way to survive, I would think, in an understory that's so heavily shaded. So that, that's, that's really fascinating. Yeah,
0: that's, I'm, I'm intrigued, and I can't wait to see photos.
2: And with that little bit on quote-unquote albino plants, that is all I have to say today.
0: Wow,
1: thank you. That's
0: so cool. Thank you
2: you are welcome when we come back from the break we're going to hear from Kirk
1: so as some listeners may have figured out I'm a uh, pretty big nerd for astronomy I (laughs) (laughs) just leave (laughs) off the last part of that
0: yeah yeah
1: (laughs) you've been listening to Strange by Nature thanks (laughs) for tuning in that's today's show Uh, oh you set that uh, you teed
0: that right up for us (laughs) We, it was Thanks, just such guys. low-hanging fruit. We had
1: to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anywho, uh, I'm just going to keep on going on here. I, I I do find pretty much all aspects of space and space travel, uh, cosmology, astrobiology, just the whole ball of wax. I find it endlessly interesting and fascinating. Uh, when I was younger, I had subscriptions to both astronomy and sky and telescope magazines. This was... Back when magazines were a thing, before we had the internet, Uh, I was actually pretty Mm -hmm. interested in becoming an astronomer. I know Victoria had mentioned how maybe if things had gone different, she would have become a geologist. I I actually wanted to become an astronomer. And uh, when it came time to uh, look at colleges, I actually looked at several with good astronomy programs, or I guess what I thought were good astronomy (laughs) programs. It's actually funny. I. I'm sure the ones I looked at weren't even all that great. They just probably happened to be the few that someone, perhaps, happened to mention. Like someone at my high school was like, "Oh, this one says they have astronomy." Like, it's it's amazing. Like the internet had existed back then, really, in the form it does now. The fact that you could just you know go on Google and type in "What are the best schools for these departments?" and it pops up, and that was that was not something we had back in the day. Uh, It was really nice, Kirk. (sighs) <sighs> I'm sure it was. Uh, I went ahead and did it now, though. I typed it into uh, the Google box there, and uh, it generated a top fifty list of schools. And none of the schools I was even considering going to were even on that list. So clearly, I was doing something wrong. Um, ironically, the school I did end up go to, uh, going to to not study astronomy, is in the top fifty schools for astronomy. So go <laughs> figure That's how it works out. Now, That's awesome. I did eventually discover that a lot of astronomy, though, is actually doing math yeah, and not yeah. just looking through a telescope. Yeah, And so that's why I uh, abandoned that career path pretty quickly. <laughs> uh, okay, so what does this all have to do with the podcast, right? Aside from the fact that once in a while you're going to hear astronomy topics. Well, it has to do with something that was <laughs> casually mentioned in one of the last episodes uh, when I was talking about carotenoids. You know, there they are again. keeps coming up. Uh, I think it was victoria maybe who brought up the link between carrots and eyesight does that sound familiar victoria
2: i think i talked about it a little bit yeah
1: i i definitely talked about carrots and eyesight
0: i know that yeah okay so maybe you both yeah yeah i said
2: something like uh you know carrots don't actually give you better vision but if you don't get enough vitamin a it's gonna cause vision problems something like that
1: there you go there you go so I wanted to talk more about that and, 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 I'll, and I'll get around to that. See, I, I first heard about carrots and eyesight uh, back when I took an amazing week long observational astronomy uh, summer class. So, look, here's the deal <laughs> it's, it, it was surprising no one to learn that most of my summer camps, the things that I went to, were academic summer camps, not uh, where in I could actually the learn. Curve. Yeah, I'm learn surprised. things I was in, interested in. You know, it's great. I took an astronomy one, a computer programming one, an espionage one. Anyways, uh, it was a great (laughs) class. Uh, We spent a fair amount of time talking about uh, the human eye and how it adapts to the dark. And so you may have noticed that when you enter a dark room, it is impossible to see anything. But gradually your eyes can adjust and you can see, right? So Mm -hmm. there's a number of factors at play, but it generally takes like 20 to 30 minutes for your eyes to dark adapt and reach your, like, maximum night vision. Mm-hmm. So I remember in that same class, we took a field trip to the Minneapolis Planetarium, which sadly no longer exists, but on the way, the teacher gave us the option of keeping one eye closed on the entire bus trip. <laughs> and, of course, I took that challenge. Of course you did. I kept one eye closed for the entire 30-minute bus trip. <laughs> That's so and long. Pla- I <laughs> and know. nobody sat Once, next I, to I, you. I I like. Oh, I kind of covered it up or something, right? But nice that they gave us like pirate eye patches. Yeah, I think that I would be the best. The, oh god, this is the nerdiest story. <laughs> so I, I, I got my hand <laughs> on my eye for like half an hour. We get, we get to the planetarium and it was super cool because like once you got in there, it was dark. You could like open both eyes and kind of like switch between your left eye and right eye when the when they put the stars on, mm-hmm. and you could like see this instant difference between the dark adapted eye. And the one that wasn't, because when they first turned that planetarium on, you're like, "Uh, yeah, I see some stars, but with my other eye, I could see like all the stars (laughs) that no one else could see yet." So it was it was pretty cool. cool. (laughs) Uh, Now another thing that same teacher told us, because this was observational astronomy, we actually met at night sometimes. Like, brought telescopes out and had a star party. They said, "Look, if you really want to improve your night vision, you should all eat carrots." And carrots, he said, were important for vision health and could actually increase your night vision cool, I more have carrots, got this. it. Right? Yes,
0: eat all of the carrots.
1: You've heard that? Mm-hmm, yeah. hmm Yeah. So to this, day, to this day, you'll hear this advice uh, still repeated. And the trouble is, the truth is a little bit complicated. Uh, and that's kind of what you were alluding to. Carrots do contain beta carotene, and our bodies need beta carotene to produce vitamin A. And sure enough, vitamin A is very important to eye health. Uh, that's why scientists recently actually created Golden Rice. Have you heard about this? Yeah. No. Yeah, so it's a, a special rice that actually produces beta carotene in the huh. rice. So it's sort of this golden color, and it's basically was created so that um, it can be added to the diets of kids around the world in places where they don't get enough beta carotene in their diet because they're eating primarily rice, um, and those kids can then get vitamin A, and then those kids won't go blind because it's a vision like kids going blind is actually a problem in some parts of the world because they don't get enough beta carotene. That's really cool. So there there has... um, It's going to stop you from going blind, but it won't like suddenly improve your vision just by eating carrots. There has been some research on lutein, which I mentioned, which slows down macular degeneration. But again, this is still experimental uh, and it's related to a disease. It's not like about general eye health and seeing in the dark. So the story about carrots... Being good for like seeing in the dark and improving your vision actually predates this newer research on that, so we we can disregard that. So, okay, why do we all think that carrots are so good for our eyes? Like, why is that this this story that's out there? Well, it turns out it all has to do with World War II. Oh, okay. so okay, hear me out on this. Okay, during during the war rationing was pretty serious in the UK. Food was in short supply. Yeah. And the government needed to convince people that all kinds of alternative foods were a great idea. Uh, new products like vegetable shortening began to replace lard, margarine replaced butter, potatoes were pushed as like a meat substitute, and carrots were also pretty heavily pushed into dishes. Uh, and carrots had really not been a big part of people's diets, but there was all kinds of new recipes coming out telling you how to use your rations and use your carrots. Yeah. They were really easy to grow and nutritious. Um, and so there was an incentive to push the public to eat more carrots. But this, of course, brings us to radar. Okay. Of course. Did, did uh, you see sure. that coming?
0: No. All right. Uh, there's a so here's I mean, the sharp left turn on war. an already
1: <laughs> left turn. Yeah. Here's here's how it all ties together. The Allies in the war had figured out how to use radar, and they used it to great effect. And suddenly, they started to shoot down enemy bombers with like startling success oh, and this sounds great oh. but it's actually a big problem you don't want to g- if they were too yeah they didn't want yeah, the if you're too successful to yeah. yeah you're going to tip off the germans that they had this new invention right mm-hmm. so they needed an excuse to explain why their pilots were suddenly so good at finding and shooting down aircraft in complete blackness in the middle of the night. So the war propaganda team came up with an idea and they leaked a story to the media that the military was having great success in spotting enemy airplanes because they were feeding their pilots large amounts of carrots. And it it seemed kind of plausible because beta carotene is important for your eye health. Yeah. So uh, they said that eating these carrots was allowing them to virtually see in the dark and take down these enemy planes. And they hoped the story kind of, you know, because they knew the Germans would get like you know, the British papers and whatnot. They mm-hmm. hoped this would convince the Germans. I haven't ever been able to find any sources that say that the Germans were actually fooled by the story, uh, although they may have been. But one of thing is for certain is that the civilians at home were fooled by the story. Uh, the story was useful not only to fool Germans, but it turns out to also get people on the home front to eat more carrots <laughs> yeah. and have more food in their diet. Uh, there were actually additional stories written about how if you want to stay safe uh, and be able to see well during a blackout, mm-hmm. easy, just eat more carrots. And there was posters made that said these kind of things too. So the message sank in and became part of our culture, even here across the pond. And once the war was over, one thing we don't think about in this country, I think is so much is that rationing continued in the UK for another nine years. Yes, it did. After really, the war, For a really long time. Yep. Um, so there wasn't a whole lot of incentive for the government to come out and admit that the carrot night vision thing was a hoax and propaganda. Mm-hmm. You know, For one, they probably wanted to still keep keep their radar capabilities somewhat uh, secret. Um, and also, they really wanted people to keep eating carrots because it was one of the rationed <laughs> foods they could, <laughs> they could give out. Um, so the story is out now, and we know that a lot of this was just basically World War II propaganda. <laughs> um, but I, I find it endlessly, endlessly fascinating that this story about... The link between carrots and night vision persists to this day. That's yeah. been passed on down from generation to generation. There's lots of websites out there that can debunk this and give you more information about the, the, the propaganda and the background on that. But there are still also plenty of websites that absolutely swear it is true. But I would tell you, don't fall for World War II propaganda, especially mm. if you read it on a website trying to sell you expensive supplements because that's where a lot of this is still online. Yeah, Uh, Don't trust anything a website says
2: that's trying to sell you expensive supplements.
1: Exactly, yeah. Big supplement is out there. Uh, Just go eat a carrot. They're good for you, and they're cheap. So that's what I have for you today, a little uh, World War II propaganda that persists to this day.
2: But don't eat too many carrots, as we learned the the other week. You'll turn orange. You'll turn orange. That uh,
0: does not sound like a fun plan. But that's fascinating. If any of you
1: turn, turn orange, uh, let us know. And uh, maybe we'll talk about you on Strange by Nature. <laughs> See you next week. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's show. Be sure to subscribe. New episodes drop every Wednesday, and we love sharing this strange world with all of our listeners. If you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, that would be great. It lets other lovers of the strange discover the show.